Man, it's so exciting to be preaching God's word this morning. And wasn't that an awesome and radical song? Take my life and let it be. That song is about stewardship, not about just your money and your possessions, but your entire life. And that's the topic that we're going to be teaching on this morning. And the song doesn't say, take my dollars and let them be. It says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. So giving is a big deal to our Lord. Giving is not only about what we give to the church. It's about how we view everything that God has given us. And I want you to think about this this morning. What we love determines how we live. Your life reflects what you really love. And of course, it's also true that what you love determines how you give. And as we ended 2021 and as we enter into 2022, church family, I feel extremely encouraged. Thank you, Evergreen, for your generosity in 2021. And after being here for a little bit over a year now, can you believe it? About 14 or 15 months. I'm realizing that we are a very generous church. And I know that we have a long legacy of generosity from our Boyle Heights days in East L.A. to Rosemead to Real Honda College and now here on our beautiful campus in La Puente. And I know for many of you, I'll be preaching to the choir. And if you're faithfully giving, I pray that this message will fire you up and that you will continue to stay faithful. If this is an area of your life that you struggle with, I pray that this message will encourage you to loosen your grip with what God has entrusted you with. And if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, I pray that Jesus will be the greatest treasure in your life. As I was prepping for this message, I was blown away with how often Christ talked about money and possessions. According to Randy Alcorn, Christ himself talked about money and possessions over 15% of the time in the Bible. 16 out of 38 parables pertain to money. Jesus said more about money than heaven and hell combined. In the Bible, over 2,300 verses pertain to money as well. So as you can see, what we do with our money and possession is a big deal to our God. So please rise as I read from our passage this morning, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Our Lord tells us, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22. The eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? 
Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you so much for your word. Father God, I pray that you will just continue to soften our hearts this morning, Lord. For us to treasure you more, Lord. For us to embrace your message this morning. I pray that we will become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me take a seat. So to give you context for our passage today, it comes from the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7 where Jesus preaches a message about his kingdom. And he's saying that if you are a genuine believer of God, that your life must be marked by kingdom living. He talks about our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with the world, with the law, with worship. And here in our passage this morning, it is a relationship with money and possessions. And I believe in all that Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount, that money and possession is the most difficult for every one of us. J.C. Ryle warns us and writes, Let us watch and pray against the love of money. It is a settled disease and often far nearer to us than we suppose. It is a snare to the poor as well as to the rich. It is not so much having the money as the trusting in it which ruins the soul. There is a desire in every human heart for us to treasure things of the world instead of God. Each of us have a strong urge to hold tightly to our money and possessions. The love of the gift instead of giver is so settled in our lives, it's destructive. And the thing is, you don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be in a certain tax bracket. You don't have to be wealthy to struggle with this. Growing up, I heard a poet by the name of B.I.G., Notorious B.I.G., where he said, more money, more problems. But on the flip side, no money, more problems as well. Because the issue is not about money, but the issue is about the heart. So this love of money is not only when you have much, but also when you have a little. This is an issue that goes beyond class, social economic issues, and culture. As I mentioned earlier, the Lord speaks a lot about money because he knows how powerful money can be. Money is our great rival to God. This is the reason why I preach this message to you this morning. It's a struggle that affects all of us, even those who are godly believers. My prayer is God will speak to us and his spirit will change us that we will loosen our grip on what we have and strengthen our grip on who we have, which is Christ. Amen? Treasuring Christ above all else in our lives. So this morning, I want to highlight three points from this passage. Point number one, two treasures. Point number two, two perspectives. Point number three, two masters. 
with two masters. I'm going to go back to Matthew 6, verse 19. Where the Lord tells us, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Two treasures are brought forth to us that we must consider. Earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. I believe the first question we must ask ourselves is, what is a treasure? And A.W. Tozer is helpful in this. He said that we can discover what our treasure is by asking four questions. The first question is, what do we value the most? What do we value the most? Second question is, what do we most hate to lose? What do we most hate to lose? Third question is, what do our thoughts turn to frequently? What are we constantly thinking about? Fourth question, what gives us the greatest pleasure? What gives you the greatest pleasure in life? According to Tozer, a treasure can be a wide spectrum of things. It could be your reputation. It could be your career, your relationship. But I believe today, the Lord is specifically talking about money and possession. Because later on in verse 24, which we read, Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. And our Lord goes on to compare the two treasures. as to say, there's something greater than possessions on earth. It is treasures in heaven. And Jesus goes and explains why. Because treasures on earth don't last. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Moth destroys clothing. Rodents eat supplies, food supplies. Thieves steal precious metal. No earthly treasure is safe. And this reminds me, 20 years ago, I learned firsthand this concept when I was working at Tozai Market. And I think I mentioned to you before, that was my first job in South San Gabriel. It's a Japanese market. And I didn't tell you why last time, but the reason why I was working there is because I wanted to fix up my 1996 Honda Accord. And before you guys laugh, the movie Fast and the Furious came out. And everybody wanted to become Vin Diesel or Paul Walker. So to make a long story short, I ended up saving money. I, I, I was able to lower my car, buy rims. And the car became my idol. I thought, if this car is cool, I'm going to be cool too. And then I could find a girlfriend. And it worked. <laughs> my girlfriend became my wife. Six months later, guess what happened? It got stolen. It got stolen. And that's when I realized that treasures are fleeting and they could be taken away any moment. But there is one blessing. I realized that Amy was a real deal. She wasn't dating the car, but she was dating me. So I was devastated about the car, but happy that I still had Amy. So while treasures on earth are temporal, Jesus says that the treasures in heaven are eternal. Verse 20, 
Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Treasures in heaven is a far greater treasure. And Jesus commands us to lay up treasures there, not here on earth. Seek after heavenly treasures. Those treasures are infinitely more valuable. The word lay up means to accumulate, to hoard for future use. Sometimes there's a misconception here that it's wrong to accumulate things. But in verse 20, our Lord says, By all means, lay up treasures. Hoard for yourself treasures. The problem is not storing or hoarding. The problem is the location of your treasure. He's telling us to not lay treasures on earth, but in heaven. In fact, he tells us to do so by storing them up in the right place and not in the wrong place. Things that you have on earth will not stand the test of time. Even though you escape moth, rust, and thieves, you cannot escape death. That is a for sure thing. And the longer I've been in ministry and the older I'm getting, I've been attending more funerals. And not once have I seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul because you can't take your things with you. And five years ago, I remember going to um, the King Tut exhibit at the L.A. County Museum, and I was just blown away with all the gold, the jewelry, the furniture and statue. All that stuff was left, left behind by King Tut in his tomb. He too couldn't take that with him. It was all left behind, and now it's in a museum. And Randy Alcorn gives an illustration on how silly it is to hold on to treasures on earth. He writes, Imagine you're alive at the end of the Civil War. You're living in the South, but you are a Northerner. You plan to move home as soon as the war is over. While in the South, you've accumulated lots of Confederate currency. Now suppose you know for a fact that the North is going to win and the war is going to end soon. What will you do with your Confederate money? If you're smart, there's only one answer. You should immediately cash in your Confederate currency for U.S. currency, the only money that will have value once the war is over. Keep only enough Confederate currency to meet your short-term needs. What a good illustration, right? And as believers, the currency of this world will be worthless at our death or at Christ's return. Both are going to happen. They're imminent. He's saying that laying treasures on earth is like stockpiling on Confederate money. It's going to be worthless one day. That's foolish. And we know how this world's going to end. And yet we still hold tight on these earthly possessions when we can trade it in for heavenly treasures. And by no means Christ is saying material possessions and wealth are wrong. He's not saying that we're called to provide for our families. We're called to work hard and to make smart financial decisions. Also, it's not a sin to have nice things. But it is a sin when those things have you. They become an idol and false god. So laying up treasures is one of the the Bible's main argument for why we should give. It protects our hearts from becoming attached to the things of this world. And now we come to our key verse, 
Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you really want to find out where your heart is? Are you curious about that this morning? Well, open up your financial statements. Open up your bank statements and credit card statements. What we do with our money does not lie. It is a bold statement in what we treasure. You want to see the heart of the church? Look at our budget. You can see at our church that we treasure discipleship because we are placing our resources into discipleship, our central theme of our church. But if you're not happy in where your heart is, Jesus gives us incredible wisdom and grace. In verse 21, he's telling us, money does not only indicate where your heart is, but it, it, it indicates where it goes. For example, if you invest $1 million in stocks to Tesla, automatically you're going to be interested in Tesla as a company, right? Because you put your resources in there and your heart will follow. And if you struggle with generosity, Jesus has a solution. Give, give. If you want to be more passionate about missions, give to missions. If you want to be more passionate about our local community here, give to our local community. Donate some balls and hula hoops and jump ropes to Don Julian. Help support the next local outreach event. And if you want to get more excited about our church here at Evergreen, give to our church. Be fired up that we have ace classes, six of them, next quarter. Be fired up that every Sunday the word of God is being preached here. Be excited about the baptism and new members of our church. Be excited that we have two new pastors here. Because of your faithful giving, we can have Pastor Hugo and Pastor Jeremy to help us out with evangelism and discipleship. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Ultimately, God wants you to give. Do you know why? Because he wants your heart. That is why God tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, without love, it means nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, 3 tells us, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You can give all the money in the world, but without love, God is saying it's worthless. And that's why God cares that you give. He really does. And he cares about the manner in which you give as well, too. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. I'm sure you're familiar with this verse. God just doesn't tell us, just give. But he tells us, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Who does God love? A cheerful giver. He wants your desires and hope and affection to be built on him and his promises, not on the things of this world that will surely disappoint and disappear. Do you see how kind and loving this is by our Lord telling us this? Because he loves us. So church family, 
audit your heart this morning. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure this morning? Is it with God in his kingdom? If it's not where you want it to be, God gives us amazing grace. Be generous with your treasures and your heart will follow. Point number two, two perspectives. Verse 22 tells us of Matthew 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Verse 23. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So once again, Jesus is making a comparison. There's two different eyes here. And the eyes is used as a metaphor for spiritual vision, the way that we look at life. And Jesus uses the eye as an illustration to express how the eye, the spiritual eye, is connected to the heart. If our eye is bad, then Jesus is saying that our heart is going to be full of darkness. If our eye is good, that our heart's going to be full of light, the healthy eye. And also, the healthy eye can be translated as having single focus, single vision, because you're devoted to God's kingdom. William Barclay gives more insight on these verses. He shares, The idea behind this passage is one of childlike simplicity. The eye is regarded as a window by which the light gets into the whole body. The color and state of a window decides what light gets into a room and will illuminate every corner of it. If the glass of the window is colored or frosted, distorted, dirty, or obscure, the light will be hindered and the room will not be lit up. So then, says Jesus, the light which gets into any man's heart and soul and being depends on the spiritual state of the eye through which it has to pass. For the eye is the window of the whole body. And I believe many Christians struggle with spiritual vision. And if you live in this country, I think all of us struggle with that. And recently, I was reminded of that. I was driving off of La Cienega and... I saw a gas station that was charging $6 a gallon for gasoline. And that made me upset. I was wondering, why am I so upset? And then I realized it was going to impact my wallet. That was the reason why I was upset. Are you kidding me? $6 a gallon? I'm not going to name names, but I started blaming people in my mind. $6 a gallon? And then I have this convicting thought that I shouldn't be upset that it's affecting my wallet. But I should be upset because I'm going to have less to give to the Lord. How is our mindset this morning? Are we upset because we're losing money or that you have less of an opportunity to give back to God's kingdom? Throughout the years, I hear from other people that they can't understand the Bible or that God seems far away or that they're confused about the Christian life or about God's will for them. 
And it's no surprise how they know how to navigate through the Westfield Mall in Arcadia or Costco. But they don't know how to navigate through the Bible. They suffer from spiritual cataracts. The world continues to make our society darker, and in return, darkness messes with our vision. We have a darker perspective. And you fight darkness with the light, the Word of God. As Pastor Kenny was sharing during announcements, that's why it's so important for us to be in the Word, the Word of God. And for all of us to sign up for ACE classes, if possible. The Word of God is going to defeat the darkness. The Word of God gives us a clear spiritual vision. We can see Christ clear when we are in His Word. And as the admin pastor here, I know it's super important if we finish in the black. Church members know what that means, right? Black, surplus, or we finish in the red, a deficit. I understand that. But coming from the hotel industry, it's all about the black. It's about profit, surplus, having a surplus. And through God's word, I'm seeing that the goal of the church is not being in the black, but it's about faithfulness and the way that we faithfully give to God and how we use his resources. In God's eyes, we can finish in the red and God still can be pleased with us if we're faithful with our finances. On the other hand, we could finish in the black, but the Lord can be displeased with us if we are not faithful with our giving and the way that we use our resources. Many times we think, wow, we're under budget on our expenses. That's great. But how about if we hoarded that resource because we didn't trust the Lord? That's not being faithful. That's not being faithful. Because we could have used it to further God's kingdom by discipling others and making disciples. So Jesus is encouraging us not to lose our spiritual perspective with money and possessions. As believers, our perspective is different from the world. While the non-believers are spiritually blind, they look at life that begins with birth and ends in death. They can't see beyond this life. Of course they're going to live it up. They're going to have fun with their resources because they don't know any better. They'll seek comfort, security, hope, and happiness from their wealth. But as believers, we have a different perspective. Amen? Amen? We see life as training camp and not the Super Bowl. We see life as the opening act and not the main show. However, we understand the way we live our lives now will impact our eternity. And when I think about our finances and our wealth and our possessions with eternity, I think about Luke chapter 16, verse 9. If you could turn to that. The parable of the shrewd manager. And where the Lord tells us, In Luke chapter 16, verse 9. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. 
In this parable, the manager is fired for misusing the master's fun, but is commended by the master for his shrewdness. And before he was fired, this, this manager became friends with the master's clients by making some business deals. Jesus tells us how we should use our final days of service, meaning our lives here, to use our wealth to make friends. The friends that we win are not earthly friends, but they are eternal friends that Christ is referring to in verse 9. So who are these friends? These friends are believers in heaven. So according to Scripture, these friends are there because of our ministry and the giving of our wealth. This is what the Lord is saying. There will come one amazing and glorious day. People that we have never met will greet us in heaven. That's a big deal. They will meet us in heaven from every tribe, tongue, and nation who have been saved. Because our giving of money and resource will meet them for the very first time in heaven. And they will express their heartfelt gratitude as they welcome you to the shores of heaven. Isn't that, isn't that an incredible thought? That's incredible. And also by having an eternal perspective, we know as Christians that one day we will be judged by the Lord. It's going to happen. Hebrews 9.27 tells us, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Whether we go to Christ in death or he comes to us in his return, we come before his judgment. There'll be a day of reckoning for unbelievers. So listen up. If you're not a believer, you will be judged. Because you have not repented for your sins and accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible clearly tells us that you will be sent to eternal hell. For Christians, there's judgment as well. Not for our salvation. Our salvation is secure in Christ. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? The account that the Lord will settle is your work in this life where God gives out rewards and blessings for those who serve him faithfully. 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5 speaks of these rewards. This should be an encouragement and motivation on how we live life. Our lives should be radically different from the unbeliever because this truth informs us on how we should approach life, our time, our possessions, and our resources one day we'll stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of our lives. And we will be rewarded by the Lord if we are faithful. And God tells us he will reward us for many things. When we are persecuted, when we live a life of godliness, when we do good works to others, when we show compassion to the needy, when we sacrifice and generously give our money and resources. Scripture says these rewards will vary in their forms. Believers are told that we will have the privilege, can you believe this? The privilege to reign with Christ in heaven. Can you imagine that? I can't even comprehend that. But that's what the Bible tells us. It's an amazing thought to rule alongside with Christ in heaven. 
Scripture also tells us that we'll receive crowns as rewards. There may be numerous crowns, but Scripture only gives us five. All these crowns are generously given by our Lord in response to our faithfulness here on earth. The significance of these crowns is that they bring glory to Christ as they are laid back at his feet. The crown is a smaller reward in light to the greater reward. The greater reward is that God is pleased with us. He manifests his pleasures by giving us reward. So the reward is not the reward itself. It's the rewarder. It's Christ, our treasure. It is that he is pleased with you. If you are faithful, he's going to tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. This inspires us to lay treasures in heaven for that reason. To please God and to pursue faithfulness. Matthew 5.12 tells us, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And this morning, I know I've been focusing a lot on money and possessions. But I want to take time out to thank our volunteers for your faithfulness. Without you, we would not have our church today. Thank you, AV team, working behind the scenes, the praise team, the counters. They work behind the scenes. Our ministry leaders, the board, the trustees, our treasurers, Kevin Kubel, and Jimmy Lee, they're doing a phenomenal job. Hebrews coffee team, Sunday school teachers, youth advisors, and the list just goes on and on and on. But from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much. You are earning your rewards with the Lord. And I know that there's many times that maybe that you're, you, you don't feel acknowledged or you don't hear a thank you. And I know you don't do that for that reason, but I'm telling you this because the Lord knows. He remembers everything. He's not going to forget what you are doing for his kingdom now. Amen? Do you believe that? Amen? So also my encouragement to you after the service, not right now, after the service, if you could go to the mobile app and look for different serving opportunities. We have many positions that need to be filled and right now I want to highlight Pastor Victor's ministry, family ministry. He's working hard to get a children's worship service going. So I want you to pray about that and see if the Lord is calling you to serve in the children's ministry. But once again, church family, I want to thank you so much for your awesome, awesome faithfulness to our Lord. And this is our third and last point. Two masters, two masters. Verse 24 tells us, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do both. From verses 19 through 23, Jesus has been asking us a couple questions. Do you notice that? The first question I believe he's asking is, What do you love? The second question is, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? 
And in this third part, I believe he's telling us, with those two questions answered, it will reveal who your master is. Either God or money. You can't serve both. You can't serve both the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. Recently, I was watching a replay of California's Gold. Are you guys familiar with California's Gold? I know Keith is excited. I saw this episode where, I don't know if you remember Keith, where Hugh Hauser went to the U.S. border. He had one foot on Mexico and the other foot on the U.S. And he got in trouble by the border uh, patrol guard. But God is telling us, you can't do that in his kingdom. You cannot do that in his kingdom. You can't have both. And if you're straddling that fence, that fence belongs to the world. You can't be having, you can't have both. And I believe the Lord is clear here. But also the Lord is telling us that you would despise the other. And growing up Asian American, I saw this firsthand where I saw a bunch of parents focused on their careers, their money and possessions that they neglected their kids. They didn't show up to their sporting events. They didn't show up to their sports, um, different sports activities, school functions, and so forth. They were not part of their lives. They neglected their marriages. And essentially, their careers and possession was their God. Everything revolved around their wealth and possessions and career. And I don't think they realized that then, but they thought they probably owned this home or this car or this, or this, this bank statement, but actually, those items owned them. That was their God. They were serving their God of money and possessions. So we all have a master, even if we know it or not. It's either God or something else. There's no choice. We all have different masters. Earthly treasures may bring you happiness to your life for a moment, but it can't save your soul, give you hope beyond death, nor give you peace with God. Money makes a terrible master. Let me repeat that again. Money makes a terrible master. John D. Rockefeller, who is known as one of the most wealthiest Americans ever to live, said to this, I made many millions, but they brought me no happiness. Check this out. The poorest man I know is the one that has nothing but money. This is coming from the wealthiest man in the world. And as Sister Rhonda just shared, as she read Mark 10, the rich young ruler, I think the rich young ruler represents the American dream. Right? He had everything that the world would say to go after. Money, wealth, authority, status. He had it all. But that still wasn't good enough. That's why he approaches the Lord. There was something missing in his heart. 
And this is the only time that Christ ever tells a person to sell all their possessions is because he knew that the possessions owned him. That these possessions was a barrier from having an eternal life with him. And in scripture it says that he walked away sadly because he couldn't give up his master of money. So once again, money and possession is a horrible master. But our master here, our Heavenly Father is faithful and he's a generous master. There's no way we can ever, ever outgive our Lord. And even though we didn't deserve it, all of us have disrespected our Lord, betrayed our Lord, offended and sinned against our Lord. As Romans 3.23 tells us, off sin and fall short of the glory of God. He gave his most, most precious treasure, Jesus Christ, to us. We didn't deserve it, but he gave Christ to us. And I thought about my son Jordan, how he fought cancer last year, and now he's in remission. Praise the Lord for that. But I could never imagine giving away my only son to anybody else. But that's what God did. In John three sixteen. he tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I believe God here is showing us that when you love somebody, it leads to action. And you gave. Not just telling somebody, I love you. But he actually gave his only begotten son to us so that you and I can be saved. And if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, I encourage you. Please accept Christ as your greatest treasure. Repent from your sins. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. And if a friend invited you here, ask him more about the gospel and about our greatest treasure, Jesus Christ. Or you can ask myself or any other pastors here as well. We'll love to share more about Christ to you. So as we close, we're going to be singing a song that's been really speaking to my heart called Give Me Jesus. And I want to take you a few hundred years back with the Christian African-American slaves who had nothing. They had nothing. They were considered property. Families were broken up. Families were being torn apart. Imagine if someone just grabs your kids and says, somebody purchased your son. That was the reality for the slaves 200 years ago. 
They were in no place to store up treasures on this earth. But in that place, they got it right. They wrote this hymn and sang this hymn in the fields. And the song goes like this. In the morning, when I rise, give me Jesus. When I'm alone, give me Jesus. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. You can have this world. Just give me Jesus. And that was the opposite from the rich young ruler who said, take Jesus and give me the world. So church family, this morning, my prayer is that we will continue to treasure Christ in our hearts and that we will continue to proclaim in our hearts for Jesus to be our greatest treasure. For us to sing in our hearts, give me Jesus and you can have all this world just like our brothers and sisters 200 years ago. Amen? Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for being such a generous and faithful father to us. Thank you so much that you gave your most precious treasure to us, your son Jesus Christ, who died for our sins so that we can be saved. We could never, ever outgive you, Lord. And so, Father God, I thank you so much that you have given us resources where we can express our love in a tangible way to you with every opportunity that we have, but also to prove to our hearts that you are indeed our greatest treasure. So, Father God, we thank you again for who you are. Thank you so much for blessing our time this morning, Lord. And Father, I pray as we close out the service that we could proclaim in our hearts and to the world, give me Jesus and you can have all this world. Not for it just to be mere words, but for those words to be seared in our hearts. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.